This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Physicists give us the lowdown on human teleportation. Some tips for taking actually impressive photos of fireworks this weekend. The nuns moonlighting as bartenders in Milwaukee. What works and what doesn't for keeping mosquitoes away. And the Katmai National Park bear cam is officially back. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. With risks of transmission inherent in just about all forms of travel right now, I have found myself thinking, even more than usual, that it sure would be nice if teleportation existed. The folks at Gizmodo had a similar thought and asked the experts how likely they think it is that we'll ever see teleportation for real. Stephen Olmshank, an associate professor of astronomy and physics at Denison University, suggests that the key may lie in quantum teleportation. Quoting Professor Olmshank in Gizmodo, Quantum teleportation, using the features of quantum physics to teleport information stored in quantum mechanical systems, is a real phenomenon that has been demonstrated by experiments on small scales, like pairs of trapped atoms, and has important applications in quantum information and quantum computing. End quote. While he says that quantum teleportation could perhaps be used on larger objects, even as large as, say, a person, he says there are several caveats that would make actually teleporting a human very difficult and quite messy. Quoting again, First, the amount of information needed to completely describe a person is staggering, and most likely already nixes this notion. There are more than 10 to the 27th power atoms in the average person each with a position, interactions with other atoms, etc. Second, quantum teleportation only transmits the information, not the atoms themselves, which means you'd need a bunch of atoms at the receiving end to reconstruct the person, and of course some way to controllably assemble all these atoms. Third, the quantum teleportation protocol destroys the information at the transmitting end, and finally, since the protocol requires some regular classical communication to properly decode the information received through quantum teleportation, all this transfer is limited to be less than the speed of light, end quote. So Professor Olmshank is skeptical, but Warwick Bown, a professor of physics at the University of Queensland, was actually on one of the first teams that helped develop quantum teleportation about 17 years ago, and questions why would we even need to teleport in a quantum way? noting that quantum teleportation is currently used mostly for things like quantum computing and that teleporting humans with all of our 10 to the 27th power atoms sounds close to impossible. Instead, he suggests some form of 3D printing. Quote, You could imagine just having a really sophisticated conventional 3D printing type technique or biological cloning growth technique to teleport your leg. The question, then, is what parts of the body are really crucial to teleport in a quantum way? I don't think anyone knows the answer to that yet, but there's a lot of speculation about where quantum mechanics plays a role in the body. Mostly these are questions of the brain, i.e. is quantum mechanics required to understand things like consciousness? 
So then you could ask yourself, what would it involve to teleport your brain as opposed to your whole body? Well, there are a hundred billion neurons in the brain, so that sounds like a pretty challenging task. It looks hard to me. But it may be that there are only a few very, very special degrees of freedom in your brain that carry any quantumness in the human. And it may be that then you could build a teleporter that was able to teleport those degrees of freedom without disturbing them, and then build up the rest of everything that maybe doesn't matter for your personality and your consciousness using more conventional methods. End quote. Yeah, pretty heavy duty. He admits we're quite far from ever achieving that, though. Patricia Rankin, a professor of physics at the University of Colorado, simply says teleportation of humans can't be done. She told Gizmodo, quote, What most people, well, anyone who watches Star Trek, thinks of as teleportation, though, is less about the transfer of information and more about disassembling a body in one location and reassembling it in another. You're converting matter to energy and back again. We convert matter to energy in nuclear reactors and energy to matter in particle accelerators. What we cannot do is ensure that when we convert energy to matter, that we make a particular type of atom, much less that we make several different types of atoms arranged in a particular structure. Here again, we will hit fundamental limits because we cannot reassemble, for example, a red blood cell in a precise location moving in exactly the same way as before because of the uncertainty principle. End quote. So, it doesn't sound like teleportation will be the answer to virus-risk-free, socially distant travel anytime soon. But at least we can dream. July 4th is this weekend, and even though many of us have been treated to guerrilla fireworks displays for weeks now, the big sanctioned spectacles are yet to come. Here in New York City, they've actually already started. To deter crowds, the city has been doing one show per borough each night of the week, but they won't tell anyone where it is until it starts so that people don't gather. Kind of weird flex, but okay. If your town is still doing some sort of fireworks display that you're able to watch either from your home or in a location where you can appropriately social distance, you may be tempted to take photos of the fireworks to post on social media. And that's fine if you want to do that, but you might as well try to make them the best photos of fireworks you can so that they stand out from all the other ones on your friends' feeds. So here are some tips for taking standout photos of fireworks. First, if you are going somewhere besides your own home, try to scout out the location ahead of time to find the optimal spot for picture-taking. Wired recommends aiming for a wide angle that includes some type of landmark or skyline. That'll help both with composition and with making your pictures stand out alongside more anonymized fireworks photos. If the fireworks are shot off over a body of water, getting the reflection from the water into your shot can also really make it pop. And beware of smoke that will fill the sky more and more as the show goes on. If the wind is blowing towards you from the direction of fireworks, your photos may become kind of murky as the show goes on. Even though the big finale always makes for a great spectacle, it's best to try to get some photos in earlier on before the sky gets too smoky. Now, assuming that you're using a phone and not a proper camera, here are a few phone-specific tips. Turn off the flash. Adjust for a lower ISO and longer exposure. If your native camera app doesn't have these settings, download a third-party app that does, like Pro Camera or Manual for iPhone or Open Camera for Android. Use a tripod if you can, and practice beforehand by taking photos of something like a sparkler in the dark. Turn off HDR and turn on night mode. 
and don't use digital zoom. Quoting Wired, Digital zoom just crops and enlarges the scene from a full-size shot, making your photo look fuzzy and dull. Zooming in too far makes your decent-looking 12-megapixel still look like a grainy and embarrassing 3-megapixel disaster. End quote. And my tip? Ditch the photo and go for a boomerang, a live photo, motion photo, or even a quick video clip that you turn into a gif. Like with sunsets, we will never be able to capture the sheer sublime experience of viewing fireworks in person. But a motion image at least gives you a little bit more of the excitement and action of the spectacle. And speaking of classic outdoor activities, let's talk about the scourge of summer, the mosquito. Yes, they are super annoying, but they can also spread diseases, which in the middle of a pandemic is just the last thing that we all need right now. So here is a roundup of what mosquito repellent techniques work and which ones don't. Starting with the ones that don't work... Ultrasonic wristbands or other ultrasonic-based devices. In short, mosquitoes don't care about the high-pitched sounds emitted by the devices. Quoting Lifehacker, The American Mosquito Control Association sums up the science. At least 10 studies in the past 15 years have unanimously denounced ultrasonic devices as having no repellency value whatsoever. End quote. Other wristbands that are coated in things like peppermint oil, DEET, or lemongrass are barely effective. They might protect your wrist and lower arm, but not anywhere else. And one study of a citronella wristband actually caused more mosquito bites. Viatech, the maker of mosquito shield bands, even had to pay a fine to the Federal Trade Commission because there was zero evidence their wristbands shielded people from mosquitoes as advertised. Clip-on devices like Terminex's Sidekick and the Off Clip-on, which are battery-powered to create a kind of cloud of repellent around you, are actually effective at reducing mosquito landings by about 90%, but only if you're sitting still and there's barely any wind. While some plants like peppermint, lemon balm, and citrosa create natural repellents, just having them in your garden won't do anything. If you plucked off a leaf and rubbed it all over your skin, it might help a little bit, but at that point, it's probably easier just to get an oil-based version. Mosquito traps definitely work, but they may also attract more mosquitoes than you would have had otherwise, and according to the American Mosquito Control Association, quote, Depending on their placement, wind direction, and inherent trapping efficiency, traps may actually draw more mosquitoes into an area than they can possibly catch. End quote. Citronella candles do seem to work a little, but not any better than any other candle. And again, only in the correct wind conditions. So they might be good for smaller, more enclosed spaces, but not for moving around or a larger area. Clothing treated with permethrin is similarly sort of effective, but mostly just when the clothing is newly treated. It can wear off pretty quickly. And instead of paying the extra bucks for special permethrin-treated clothing, you can just spray whatever mosquito repellent you're using on your skin onto your clothes. Consumer reports found that it worked just as well. And that brings us to straight-up simple mosquito repellent, one of the only surefire ways to avoid mosquito bites, particularly if it contains DEET. DEET has gotten a bad rap over the years, but it's safe when used properly. A study in the Canadian Medical Journal even concluded that it's safe for pregnant people and children. Though, you should probably double-check with a doctor or something on that before you take the word of some dude on a podcast. 
And if you don't want to mess with DEET, picaridin and oil of lemon eucalyptus also do the trick. The best way to ensure that a mosquito spray will actually work and isn't a scam? Look on the back of the label for an EPA registration number. And also make sure you follow proper application instructions. And the final technique for repelling mosquitoes is a simple fan. Mosquitoes are weak flyers, so if you're hanging out in one place like on a porch and you can set up something like a box fan, you'll effectively just blow them away. So basically, get some repellent and a good fan and don't bother with anything else. Like many faith leaders, nuns have been keeping busy during the pandemic by helping out in their communities, delivering meals to those in need, raising money for charities, and serving up pints of beer. In Milwaukee, the School Sisters of St. Francis are returning next weekend for their annual Sister Water Beer Garden event. Last year, it was an actual festival held in the garden of their convent over three nights, but this year, they've made it curbside pickup only. But to make it a little bit more exciting, they're offering beer gardens in a box, where you can get a growler, commemorative pints, some pretzels, and a jar of gourmet mustard to take home and turn your own yard into a beer garden. The tradition was started as an homage to the convent grounds that are thought to have once held a beer garden, and the name Sister Water refers to the embodiment of purity in St. Francis of Assisi's Canticle of the Creatures. Just as last year the proceeds from the beer garden will go to providing clean water in the communities served by the nuns' missions around the world, most of the beers, root beers, and the jars of mustard come from Sprecher's, a brewery local to Milwaukee, but they're rebranded for the special event. You can choose from a Glory Bee, which is an amber ale, or an Ale Mary, which is a Hefeweizen. And for zero-proof options, there's also the Righteous Root Beer, or the Locale Half-Righteous Root Beer. So if you're anywhere near Milwaukee, you should take advantage of this by ordering ahead for pickup on Saturday. But for the rest of us, we'll just hope that it catches on and the nuns in our communities start serving up Ale Marys in the future. There's a lot that's different about our world these days, but at least one annual tradition has returned exactly the same as always. The Katmai National Park Bear Cam. Quoting Earther, The park established these cams back in 2012, firing them up each summer right around the salmon runs when bears in the park come out to chow. Bald eagles, gulls, and even wolves sometimes go in search of the salmon too, and they may sometimes pop up in the cameras. Really though, everyone comes for the bears. Katmai's brown bears spend summer preparing for winter hibernation, so they have one goal in mind. Eat all the salmon. The brown bears can eat up to 40 salmon a day, and right now the bears may appear a little thin because many have only come out of hibernation in recent months. But that will change over the summer as bear activity picks up. End quote. And when that hibernation prep really ramps up this fall, Katmai will most likely do a return of their March Madness-style bracket, Fat Bear Week, in which people can vote on which bears in the park they think will gain the most weight while the park provides regular updates. Last year's competition was won by Holly, or Bear 435, who was single at the time and therefore got to use all of her energy on herself, making her super prepared for hibernation. Brown bears need fat reserves to burn through six months of winter, so acquiring as much as possible is key. 
While Fat Bear Week used to be an in-person-only event, and even after the live stream kicked off in 2012, still offered plenty of in-person activities, this year it is of course only online, as no visitors are currently allowed in the remote Alaskan Park and Preserve. Officials at Katmai say it will be much quieter without human visitors and reduced planes above, which may encourage more people-shy bears than usual to venture out to the river for food and mating. Not that the bear cam even needs more drama, there is always plenty of excitement. Many of the bears have become internet famous over the years, such as beloved Otis, quoting Mashable. Otis, Bear 480, might be the most well-known bear in the world. He's often sitting in the same place near the back corner of the falls, patiently waiting for fish to pass by. He's a steadfast, reliable fixture on the bear cams. What's more, he always becomes one of the river's fattest bears. End quote. There's also the story of Fat Bear Week 2019 champion Holly and Bear 503. In 2014, Bear 503 was abandoned by his mother at just one and a half years old. But Holly adopted him and raised him up to be one of the biggest bears in the park, a sure sign that he is now healthy and happy. Until Fat Bear Week kicks off, you can see how the bears are faring so far, and check out the post-hibernation transformations of last year's popular bears. Holly is a third of the size she was when we saw her last. You can check all of that out on the live stream on explore.org. And the Katmai National Park is also doing weekly live chats to teach us more about salmon, the ecosystem of the Brooks River where the webcam is located, and more. Those are also available on explore.org, which also has a channel for birdwatching unrelated to Katmai National Park, and that channel is called Nestflix. Yep. Ah, so much to watch and so little time. So it turns out that July is officially National Ice Cream Month, as started by Ronald Reagan in 1984. And I wish I had realized that yesterday saved my ice cream segment for today. But hey, you can still use all those soft serve facts to impress people all month long. And uh, maybe I'll whip up some more for later this month. But until then, I hope you have a good rest of your day and I will talk to you tomorrow. 